Let's pray. Father God, you are God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. How can, how can we praise such a great God? How can we come before you? But Lord, you desire that we would. You call us to know you. And so we praise your name. We praise you tonight as a family gathered around your word that we might know you more and be in awe of who you are. We praise you tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You come before a group of people to preach about how big an infinite God is. And you kind of feel weak and insignificant. And you wonder, am I really going to be able to get across what's, what's here? Dr. I couldn't even remember who I was. <laughs> and how appropriate that is, you know, on a night like tonight when we're looking at how big God is. How small I am when I stand before him. We have before us tonight nine verses, nine magnificent verses, a a beautiful combination of simple observance and rich prophecy that put the majesty of God on display for us to see. By God's grace, we will examine these verses for what they say as they've been used in Scripture and come out on the other side grounded in awe of who God is. Go ahead and open up to Psalm 8. As you do that, we're going to hopefully see five ways that David, the psalmist, tells us about the glory of God and how it's on display for us to see. And we're going to see that God's glory is revealed in his name. God's glory is revealed in his created order. It's revealed in his sovereign wisdom. His glory is revealed in mankind, and his glory is revealed in his plan of salvation for us. Let's stand up as we read God's word. Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. God's glory is revealed in his name. The very opening phrase here says, O Lord, our Lord. You might notice that in in your Bible, it's printed with capital letters, that that first Lord. And that's put in there in place of the word Yahweh. So David's saying, O Yahweh, our master, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What's in a name? What's in a name? Everything is in a name, especially in the Old Testament, in in the Hebrew culture of the time. Uh, Look up some names in the Old Testament. Names were chosen with meaning. Names were chosen on purpose. Children grew into their names. If you look at Jacob, what did his name mean? Heel grabber, deceiver, right? What did he do? He grabbed away Esau's birthright. He deceived his father and received the blessing as well. God found names so significant that he even changed them at times. Abram became Abraham. Why? Because God was going to make him the father of a multitude, the father of many nations, and therefore Abraham would reflect that very thing. Names are more significant than our culture here in America tends to give them credit today. Names are significant to God. Look with me at the very name of God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says, it's an interaction between Moses and God. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. His name is Yahweh, which means I am. Doesn't, that, that has an eternal and timeless ring to it, doesn't it? It's not, I was. It's not, I will be. But any time you say the name of God, he is. If you said it a thousand years ago, he is. If you say it a thousand years from now, he is. If you say it right here and now, he is eternal and timeless. God is infinite and eternal, and his name stands as a reflection of those attributes. It is a statement of who he is and what he is. His name is self-aware. 
I love to listen to Ravi Zacharias. Anybody know Ravi Zacharias? A great apologist. And I read, I listened to this one recording of him, and he was doing a presentation at a college. And the student came up, they, they get to ask him questions, and the student came up, and after a very a lengthy existential introduction to show how smart he was, he said to Ravi, how do I know that I exist? And Ravi, in his magnificent and simple way, said, who, may I ask, is asking me the question? The obvious answer is, I am. I am is a self-aware name. God is. He has a name that he's assigned to himself. Nobody gave him that name. He revealed his name to us. Moses asked him, what shall I say? Who is it that is sending me? God said, I am who I am. Say this to Israel, I am sent me to you. God's name defines him as personal. God has revealed his name to us that he might be known. That that he would be called upon by us. He is not ethereal or abstract or unknowable. He is personal and self-aware. He does not need anyone to tell him who he is. His name is potent. His name has substance. When David faced Goliath, he did it in the name of God. He did it in the name of the living God. 1 Samuel 17 Verses 45 and 46 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and with a javelin. Those things have substance, don't they? Those things could hurt you. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Because the name of God is potent. It is powerful. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they experienced that very power as well. In John 18, we see the soldiers arrive and and Jesus asks them, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he say? I am he. What do they do? draw back and they fall down because the name of God, God himself just spoke his name to them. His name has substance. It is powerful. No one took his life. They didn't drag him away. And he showed them right then and there, I give up my life for you. He is the living God, the great I am. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 through 11 says this, But the Lord, Yahweh, 
is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. God created the heavens and the earth. The other the false gods that man have created did not create the heavens and the earth. And God's glory is revealed in that created order because it is Yahweh who created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Have you ever looked up at the stars and tried to count them? Imagined how large just one of those stars are? Have you ever sat on the beach and watched the waves as as they come rolling in, but they're kept at bay? The tide is controlled by this huge orb that circles the earth at just the right distance to keep those waves at bay. An earth which is set at an axial tilt of 23.4 degrees, which gives us seasons all around the globe. If the earth was not set at that tilt, we wouldn't have four seasons all around the globe. If the earth was just set straight, there'd be a very small band of livable space on the earth. The rest of it would be a frozen wasteland. All the agriculture, all the things we see growing, all the things we know would be a frozen wasteland. Except that all these things are set into place. Surely, these things have been set into place. His fingerprints are there, that this is all the work of an intelligent designer. If we just look at it, we can see the immensity and order of creation tells us much about God's glory. What power must it take to set this universe on course? Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his power without end, and his divine nature, his infinite eternal existence, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can do stuff with the stuff we have. If you give me a lump of clay, I can make a pretty sloppy-looking elephant out of it, right? If you give me something, I can do something with it. But God created everything that exists, all this mass, all this material, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth. He did this ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
for he is the uncaused cause of all that is. From the words of his mouth, he made it happen. If we read the account in Genesis, God said, let there be, and there was. He spoke it into existence. I don't know about you, but I don't find my words to be that potent. To make something out of nothing. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you're mindful of him? He is greater and he is bigger than anything he has made. His glory is set above the heavens. Have you ever made a snowball? He made the moon and set it into place. He is God uncontainable and without borders. He is omnipresent, the king of all creation. Psalm 139 very wonderfully describes for us the the presence of God. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or, or where shall I free from your, flee, sorry, not free, from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In the Old Testament, other gods were limited by borders. Their presence was contained within the locale of those who created them and worshipped them. But Yahweh chose his people in Abraham from Haran in the land of Canaan. With power, he then removed them from the land of Egypt. And then he brought them into the promised land. He exhibited his lordship over all earthly governing authorities through Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, God had brought Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. He, he made him to, to go out of his mind, to, to eat grass like a cow. And then finally, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come back to his senses. And he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the ruler of, of the known world at the time. The most powerful man on earth. Nothing could stop him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Lord Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the God that we worship. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 chapter 4 verse 13 recalls to us that no creature is hidden from his sight but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account there's nothing hidden from him Verse 2 of our psalm tonight says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes and to still the enemy and the avenger. The cry of the smallest child reminds us of how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. Bill Williamson this morning in in the new members class recalled to all of us the, the miracle that birth is. Where was that baby 10 months earlier? Nowhere. It didn't exist. And God knit it together in its mother's womb just as he did with every single one of us the great God of created order is intimately involved with the smallest detail of your life. He knows the number of your days and the hair that is on your head, or in some cases not. God knows the details, doesn't he? He knows the future as well as he knows the past. Verse 2 is a good reminder of that very thing. God's glory is revealed in his sovereign wisdom and foreknowledge. He can use that which is seemingly weak or insignificant, like a small baby, to accomplish the wondrous and shut the mouths of his enemies. For his wisdom is not like ours. 1 Corinthians 10 describes his wisdom against ours. Verse 18, it begins, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified." a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He used the curse of the cross to establish salvation 
for us. And he uses this very verse, verse 2 of our psalm, to shut the mouths of his enemies. Go to Matthew chapter 21 real quick. This is, this is just so cool. Matthew chapter 21. Okay, Jesus is in the temple. It's the triumphal entry. The kids are shouting, Hosanna! Look at chapter 21, verse 14. It says, And the blind and the lame came to him, Jesus, in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? He just quoted the first part, didn't he? Look look back at verse 2 of Psalm 8. Out of the mouths and babies and infants you have established strength. That's what Jesus was quoting. Because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. You can bet the rest of verse 2 wasn't lost on the Pharisees. Jesus was saying to them, you are standing as foes of God right now. You are standing in his way. And what did they have to say? Nothing. He shut their mouths. With the praise of children, he shut their mouths. And he departed from them. God had David scribe this verse 1,000 years earlier before the triumphal entry because he was going to use that to shut the mouths of his enemies because God is sovereign in his wisdom and his foreknowledge. God is eternally and infinitely wise. He can work through, around, and in spite of our broken free wills, our sinful condition, to establish his glory. This is the God that we worship. Let's go on. Verses 4 to 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. What is man? That's a well-put question. It, It says, what is man? Not who. Remember, O man, that you are a creation of God. Yet, we are a very special creation. Verse 5 says we have been made a little lower than the heavenly beings, and yet we have been crowned with glory and honor. 
See, there's, there's nothing in creation that represents God like we do. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, recalls the creation of man in God's image. James chapter 3, verse 3, 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, corroborates with that and, and says that all mankind, great and small, bear the image of God. God has an intellect, a free will, and emotions. He is creative and imaginative. He is relational, compassionate, loving. He hates evil. His, his perfection demands justice and righteousness. Having been created in his image, we have an intellect. We have a free will, as broken as it might be now, and emotions. We are creative and imaginative. We are relational, compassionate, and we can be loving. We hate. We have a deep-seated need for justice and righteousness to prevail. There is no other animal in creation that is like us. We put the glory of our Creator on display. And yet, in our sin, we, we twist and distort that image. And God, in his sovereign wisdom and his foreknowledge, he knew from eternity past that we would need a Savior. See, verses 4 through 8 are repeated to us in the book of Hebrews as God's glory is revealed in his plan of salvation for mankind. The author of Hebrews applies these verses to Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, he says, It has been testified somewhere, Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. He took on human flesh. Philippians chapter 2 describes it to us like this. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In doing this, in, in taking on flesh... Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for our place. And this was declared to us that he was going to do this back in Psalm 8. Being made fully human, Jesus Christ made an equivalent sacrifice for humanity. Flesh for flesh. Being fully God, 
he made a sacrifice of infinite and eternal value. A, a, a sacrifice that could suffice for the sins of mankind for all time. Past, present, future. As God-man, he was able to take my place on the cross that I deserved, and not just mine, but for everyone, anyone who should accept his free gift of salvation. He tasted death for everyone. Putting both God's righteous requirement for justice and his steadfast love on display for us at the cross. Again, God had David jot down these words a thousand years earlier that the author of Hebrews would see how they pointed to Jesus Christ, that we would know that God's plan of salvation is long-standing. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that it was in place before the foundations of the earth. God himself mentions it right at the fall, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He proclaims it to us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53 in particular. Earlier than that, he mentions the virgin birth. He prophesies of the plan of salvation to us in the book of Psalms. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His glory is here for us to see that we would be in awe of who he is. In his name, in his created order, in his sovereign wisdom and foreknowledge, in his imprinted image upon you and I, all mankind, and in his plan of salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's be in awe of who God is. Father, we praise you. There is no other God in heaven or on earth. No other God to be worshipped. No other God to know. And You've let us know some portion of who you are that we might recognize how majestic, how great, how awesome is your holy name. How great, how awesome is your plan. Lord God, we praise you. Help us to walk in awe of you, that the rest of your word would apply to our lives as well. And we would walk unafraid, knowing that the God of all creation is the God who's given us your Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered to do mighty things in your name and for your glory. We praise you tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.